Bokatov, everyone. Good morning. Shalom, shalom. Welcome to our Aliyah day. And glad that you are with us, watching from all over the country, even all over the world. Uh, glad that you're here with us this morning as we are looking at the fifth Aliyah of Parashah Shemot. We have been uh, looking at this Parashah. We have had Moshe uh, in front of the burning bush talking to Hashem about his mission to be a shliach now, to go to the uh, to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. So in this particular aliyah, we are going to be uh, seeing that mission in detail and discussing uh, the intricate uh, parts of that and what they mean with God's help. Baruch Hashem. So glad you're with us. I want to begin this morning, however... Uh, because we left off last week, we really did not get a chance to explore the concept of I am that I am, uh, that Hashem, you know, gives his name to the people. Uh, so I just want to make a, a few uh, references to this from yesterday's Aliyah as we are um, looking at this particular uh, statement. So on the kind of the simple level, the Bashat level, the, the logical level, we have I am that I am, uh, as, as the commentators point out, uh, that basically Hashem is saying that I'm, I'm eternal, I'm everlasting, and I am unchanging. That is one of the fundamental principles uh, with, with which or by which we live as Lapid Jews, and that is the concept that Hashem does not change, uh, that He doesn't change His ways, that He's not going to abrogate His holy Torah, um, you know, if God uh, liked a particular law 2,000 years ago, he has to still like it. Hashem doesn't change uh, his ways. There's no shadow of turning in him. So on the simple level, this means that God has uh, an everlasting quality. The reality is, we know that the Yudke Vavke is the divine name of God. No one knows how to pronounce it. No one knows how to pronounce it. Uh, many um, many non-Jews uh, who belong to certain cults uh, teach that uh, the name has been hidden from us, and so it's been replaced in English Bibles by all caps, Lord, or what have you. That's, that's just uh, silly nonsense. Um, actually, if you look, if you pick up any Hebrew Bible, pick up any Hebrew and English Tanakh, the Yudke Vavke is, is in the text. The, the problem with is the, the people that say these types of things cannot read Hebrew, and so therefore they don't know. They have no idea. Um, moreover, God has many names, and God is known really by his attributes, which are indicated by his names. So um, there's not really a need to pronounce the divine name anyway, because really that's not the point. The point is who is Hashem, who is God, Lord God, nothing wrong with saying Lord God either. I've heard that kind of silliness too over the years. Um, who is he? We don't really, we, we need to know that by his attributes. Moreover, in this text, it actually says in verse 15, that uses the Hebrew, Shemi Leolam. My name, uh, this is my name forever, okay? But the sages point out that the word leolam is missing, or spelled rather, without the customary vav. So therefore, it can be pronounced le'alem, 
which means to conceal. And the sages taught that this implies that the divine name should not be pronounced as it is written, um, that instead we say Adonai or Hashem in its place. Why? Because it's such a holy name. The divine name, even when it was known, uh, was only spoken and kind of whispered in the temple, and that only by the high priest. And then when everybody would hear it, they would fall to the ground and they would say, Baruch Shem Kavod, Malchutu Le'olam Va'ed. That's how holy it is. So therefore, it's, it was, it's always been treated, even when we knew how to pronounce it, it was always treated as extremely holy. It was nothing that we would have on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker or uh, you know anything else. I mean, think about it. Um, the divine name is so holy that um, any, any book that has uh, Hebrew scripture in it, um, we don't take it into a restroom, and we don't even set it on the ground. Uh, if, if we have a, a Tanakh that has the Yudke Vavke you know, printed in it, we don't set it on the ground, we don't take it on the restroom, we treat it with the utmost uh, holiness. And yet, you, you see, sometimes people will have the Yudke Vavke on a bumper sticker on the back of their car. What happens? Mud dirt, dust, uh, you know, animal feces, hasve shalom, gets splattered on it, right? What happens? They're wearing it on a t-shirt. They walk into the bathroom. They've got, you know, I believe in UK Vavke, and they're so proud of it, yet they're wearing that in the bathroom where there's filth and mess. And it goes on and on and on. You can see the problems. So in actuality, the people that are trying to, in their own limited understanding, they're trying to uh, be prideful about this name thing, they're in actuality, they're actually bringing a lot of shame and a lot of uh, desecration to the divine name. So it's really, really bad, okay? Um, but anyway, let's look at this name esoterically, as it were, or not, maybe not so esoterically, but at least uh, from a little bit different standpoint. So quoting from Sefer Putuke Chotam, says, Moshe said to Adonai, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your forefathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Adonai said to Moshe, I shall be, and I shall be. And he said, So shall you say to the children of Israel, I shall be has sent me to you. Now we don't, for many of you, um, know some of the gospel accounts. We know that, that Yeshua used this phrase regarding himself many times. In fact, he did it seven times. We talked about that in a previous Aliyah, that there is significance to that, but I digress. It says, Why did Moshe think that the children of Israel would ask, What is his name? Did they not already know his name? Yes, they did. Perhaps we could suggest the following. When Hashem made a covenant with Abraham in the Brit Ben Habetarim, the covenant between the parts, Adonai told him, and they, a foreign nation, will enslave them, your descendants, and oppress them for 400 years. This comes from uh, Genesis 15, 13. Based on this message, the Jewish people had perfect faith that their bondage in Egypt would last 400 years. Now, what I'm about to read is also a, um, a good illustration of what I've uh, kind of harped on in the past of not trying to determine end-time events. I guess, theoretically, that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. I mean, 
I don't know. Maybe that's too harsh, but I just think it's a big waste of time. Anyway, it says, When Hashem appeared to Moshe at the burning bush and told him that the time of their redemption had arrived, although the Jews had only been in Egypt now for 210 years, Moshe was surprised and wondered, How could it be that Adonai said something and did not keep his word? God forbid. Shalom. And then it says here, it is inconceivable because Hashem is truth. Hashem is truth. Hashem emet. And truth is his seal. The reason I want to highlight that is because in John 17, 17, Yeshua is praying for us. And he says, sanctify them by the truth, the truth. And then he, his next phrase, comma, your word is truth. Sanctify them by truth, comma, your word is truth. So his word, the word of God, the Torah of God is truth. And we learn here that truth is his seal. You know, whenever the president of the United States uh, speaks anywhere, it, I don't care if he's speaking at a, uh, a women's tea luncheon or if he's speaking to the United Nations or, or wherever he's speaking, they always put the presidential seal on the podium no matter what, okay? That's his seal, the presidential seal. So wherever Hashem is, he has his seal. What is his seal? The Torah. So when we say, well, the Torah is not for today, uh, well, here's a problem. That's his seal. Or if we say the Torah is for Jews, it's not for uh, for non-Jews in the covenant, okay? Um. There's a problem because whenever Hashem stands up to talk to his people at the proverbial podium, he's got his seal. What's the seal? Torah. So half the room is looking at him going, oh yeah, there's my God and there's his seal. The other half of the room is saying, oh look, there's my God and there's the seal I'm not supposed to believe in. All right, let's deal with this for a second. This Torah for Jews, Torah for non-Jews, because this came up in a, uh, a question that was asked to me uh, privately, private message uh, question came in from, from someone or uh, a statement or whatever. And so um, they were pointing out that in the, the common Messianic theology is that the Torah is for Jews. It's not for Messianic Gentiles. Now, first of all, let's deal with some semantics, okay? just I'm going to spend just a minute or two on this. I'm going to watch my time. And I won't go, go, don't go crazy. Baruch Hashem. Okay. Uh, first of all, let's deal with some semantics. The Torah is not for Gentiles, 100%. Torah is not for Gentiles. That's obvious. Why? Because if you're a Gentile, you're not in covenant. That's the whole point, right? So the Torah is not for you because it's, it's only for Gentiles. Listen, my wife and I have covenantal uh, agreements, right? Why? Because we're married. It might, the, the, the covenant that I have with my wife, those rules don't apply to some other woman. God forbid. Like I don't bring other women flowers on, on Friday night. Why? Because they're not my wife, Okay. Uh, so um, the covenant only applies to those who are actually married to Hashem. So no, the Torah is not for Gentiles, obviously. So therefore, if you are a non-Jew and you're in a covenant with Hashem and you believe in the Mashiach, you are no longer a Gentile. Secondly, I almost hate to reveal this secret, but here's the thing. When you have people that say, in the Messianic movement, the Torah is for Jews and not for Gentiles. It, it implies that they are Torah observant and that they're somehow 
teaching non-Jews not to be Torah observant. I can tell you 100% that's not the truth. The fact of the matter is, the Messianic theology is that the Torah is not really for anybody. Um, that's the reality. And so the fact of the matter is, is if you have... Um, if you have non-Jews coming in and they are becoming Jewish vis-a-vis um, -vis their covenantal status and they're now embracing enthusiastically a Torah lifestyle, as they should, this now looks makes other people in the movement who are Jewish by birth, grew up in a uh, Jewish home. I love that. That's my most favorite saying of all. I grew up in a Jewish home. Um they are not keeping towards so it makes them look bad. This is this actually is not something that is relegated just to the messianic world. There is a psychologist who wrote a book about this, opening the called Opening the Gates, I believe it is. He's not messianic. It has nothing to do with Yeshua or the Messiah. It's just simply a book about the psychology of 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 why uh Judaism today is not super excited about um uh, opening up the floodgates, so to speak, and, and, and proselytizing and bringing in converts. And everybody says, well, that's not what Judaism, we never have done that. It's not true. Judaism used to be a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, very, very evangelical. And so uh, what's the problem now? Um, well, you know, we stopped being evangelical because uh, the Romans would, the Christians would kill us. Um, Christians uh, persecuted us and beat us down so much that we just stopped proselytizing because it became very unhealthy to do that. Um, but what's the problem now? So the psychologist points out the problem is, is that you have websites, right? Let's just be real for a moment. Can we be real? Can we be real? I'm not, I'm just going to be real for a moment, okay? Um, and it maybe make some people mad. I hope not. I'm not trying to make people mad. I'm just trying to be honest and real, okay? Um you have wonderful websites that we I very often use because it's just a, it's a very very quick uh, way to look up something or to check a calendar or check a birthday. It's so easy, right? It's called Chabad, right? Chabad.org. Many of you people know, obviously, Chabad very popular. Um, you get on Chabad and you in, and it's like this treasure trove. They've they've done a fantastic job. Um, we should only be so blessed to be able to do half a good as job as they have on their website as far as the basics of Judaism. So you get on Chabad and you learn, what is candle lighting? What is hollow? What is hand washing? What are tzitzit? Why do we wear them? What does Rosh Hashanah mean? What does Yom Kippur mean? Blah, 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 blah. It's all wonderful information. And it's all, some of it's very, very basic. And then some of it's kind of deep, but most of it's just basic. You know, you pull up Chabad and it's like, hey, hello, what, is, uh, what does it mean to be a Jew? Who is a Jew? I mean, all these kind of things, right? And here's the thing that people don't realize because a lot of non-Jews go to their site, a lot of Messianics go to their site, and they don't realize that the people who put that website together, that is targeted to people who, quote, grew up in a Jewish home. Uh, in fact, if you are not Jewish and you write Chabad, trust me, I know, and you, um, because I, I just had somebody do this and they got a reply back, um, you tell them you're not Jewish, but you want literature, they'll say, uh, no, thank you. Now, is that universal? Because somebody will say to me, inevitably, somebody right now is emailing me right now and say, oh, no, I've got a, a Chabad house here, and they just, okay, okay, okay. I'm talking about, like, corporate Chabad, all right? 
Um, though here's the point I'm trying to make. They, what they do is great for what they do. All I'm trying to say is it's not for non-Jews. What am I trying to say? 80% of Jews in America and 90% in Israel. Think about that for a second. Let that settle in. Let that soak in to your mind. 80% in America and 90% in Israel um, do not are not observant. Jews, I'm talking about. And so these groups exist, Chabad, Aish, Breslev, etc. They exist to do what? To bring Jews back to observance. And so it's like the Jonah syndrome. This is really what it boils down to. It's the Jonah syndrome. Can you imagine if all of a sudden you opened up the floodgates and said, you know what? Now, non-Jews, come in. Welcome. Doors wide open. Come. And now you have 10,000, just to pull the number out of a hat, 10,000 non-Jews banging on the door, begging to get into Torah observance. And still you have 80% and 90% of the Jews out there who grew up in a Jewish home still not observing. You can see the psychological problem. Okay, it's just read the book of Jonah. It's what we're talking about. All right, that was a big tangent. Sorry. All right, going back. Moshe was saying, Master of the universe, when I tell the Jewish people that the end of their exile has arrived, they will not believe me. Rather, they will respond, what is Hashem's name? Hashem is truth, and, and truth is his seal. It is inconceivable that he should say that we will be enslaved for 400 years, and then he should retract his word. All right, doesn't make sense because God doesn't change, right? He doesn't change, but there is an exception, uh, which we're going to read about. As a hint that Moshe really intended this in his question, Hashem's name, Yudke Vavke, is contained in the words, Lima Shemoma, to me, what is his name, what? As the letters of each word, the in, the last letter, rather, of each of, each of those words, Li Ma, Shemo, Ma, spell Yudke Vavke. So they know Hashem's name, that he is truth. Therefore, they can't believe that their time for redemption has already arrived. It's only been 210 years. What are you talking about? God said 400 and whatever he says is true. You come along and say 210, we don't believe you. So it's ve- it says, Vayomer Moshe, Asher Hashem said to Moshe, I shall be as I shall be. The significance of this, as we know, is that the numerical value of Eye multiplied by itself is 441, which has the same value as the word Amet, truth. Hashem is informing them that all of the promises and, de- and decrees are conditional. So God doesn't change except when it comes to his decrees and promises. Those are conditional. This is Deuteronomy 28. So they understand God is truth. He doesn't change. What they didn't realize is that one God, once God makes a decree, he changes, he can change, there's a potential for change based upon one critical condition. If a person is evil and Hashem decrees something bad against him, the decree will only remain as long as this person stays evil. But if he repents, the decree will be nullified. So, there is one way and one way only that we can change God, so to speak. And that is through the mitzvah of teshuva, of repentance. We can change the evil decree against us. 
It says the meaning of Eye Asherye, I shall be, I shall be, is as follows. I shall be with this person while he's evil, but if he repents, then I shall be, I shall be with him for good. The opposite is true as well. If Hashem issues a good decree for a person, but he becomes evil, the decree will not be fulfilled. Either way, Hashem's decree may change based on a person's actions. Based upon our actions. What does it mean? It means that we can tear up the evil decree, or Hashem can tear up the evil decree, on our behalf if we make shuva. But if we don't make shuva, then the decree stands. Likewise, if God has decreed something good for us, and we say, oh, that's wonderful. I've got a decree. God can't change. I'm once saved, always saved. So now I'm out. I'm just going to start living the way I want to live. And God will bless me. Why? Because he said he's going to bless me. God says, nah. Because Deuteronomy 28 says, if, if you obey my commandments, then you'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. But if not, then you won't. It's very, it's very, very simple. So God changes, so to speak, based upon Shuva. That's the one way in which we can change the heart of God. And doesn't that uh, work for us as well, right? People, um, uh, somebody who is uh, holy and righteous will uh, acquiesce if they see a change in somebody's heart. Okay, want to hit a couple of things right quick <clears throat> that I think are um, wonderful and worth mentioning with respect to this um, aliyah. So verse 16 says, go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, Hashem, the God of your forefathers has appeared to me and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, I have surely remembered you and what is done to you in Egypt. So there's a comment here that Rabbi Monk brings down, <coughs> quoting from the Midrash Rabbah Shemot chapter 5. And it says, talking about the elders and how uh, special they were. This was not all the elders, but rather these were the 70 elders who would eventually um, become members of the Sanhedrin. And it says that these these the, the reason that these particular elders were chosen, the reason that they were chosen to be part of the 70 was because of their worth. But their worth was not because they were so smart, they were so intelligent, they were uh, so wise. But it says they had been appointed by the Egyptians as officers over the slaves. But they chose to be beaten in order to lighten the load of the others. Therefore, God distinguished them in Israel, endowing them with the prophetic spirit. So we have here um, a very uh, special uh, picture that the elders... Um, who were appointed as, as officers over the Egyptians in Mitzrayim, they actually said, you know what? Beat me instead of beating them. And as a result, they uh, were appointed as elders. And even so says that um, as a result of their willingness to be beaten instead of the people, God endowed them with a prophetic spirit. So we can see um, here uh, a wonderful allusion to Mashiach. Verse 17, and I have said, I shall bring you up from the affliction of the of Egypt to the land of Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, Pezrite, Hivite, and the Jezebite, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 17, it says, Vayomer 
alecha etkim. I shall bring you up, ale etkim. The word etkim, you, I shall bring you up. If we change the vowels, we can read it etkim, which means with you. And so in Vayikra Rabbah 9, it points out that this is one of the biblical sources for Emmanuel, God with us, meaning that this is one of the biblical sources for the principle that the Shekinah, the divine presence, accompanies Israel throughout their exile. <clears throat> so when Yeshua said, I will be with you to the ends of the earth, it wasn't something he was just saying as a, a flowery you know, um, um, speech, but rather he was actually making a, a, a a reference back to the Shekinah of God, who, as we read in a previous Aliyah, that the Shekinah uh, manifested physically and went down to Egypt with the 70 souls. We read this, at, I think, think it was towards the, the last Aliyah of uh, Vayiki, um, that, that he's counted, the Shekinah is counted as one of the 70 who descended physically, as it were, with the 70 into Mitzrayim. So he says in verse 18, They will heed your voice, you and the elders of Israel, and shall come to the king of Egypt and say to him, Hashem, the God of the Hebrews, happened upon us. And says, And now, please let us go on a three-day journey to the wilderness, and we shall bring offerings to Hashem, our God. Now, um, something interesting I want to point out as well, and Rabbi Monk talks about this. He says, and you and the elders of Israel shall come to the king of, of Egypt. But the problem is, the elders of Egypt did not come to Pharaoh. It was only Moshe and Aaron. So what happened? So it says, however, the elders were to fail in this. And so they are not mentioned later in the description of the actual delegation to Pharaoh. Afterwards, Moshe and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, the Midrash explains that the elders were frightened and slipped away one by one. So what we're seeing here is a shadow, an allusion to the Messiah and what happened to him with and his Talmudim. So here's everybody. You can imagine this picture. It's, it's somewhat sad, but it's almost comical. So Moshe and Aaron gather the 70 elders. All right, guys, God is with us. I believe you. We're going to go speak to Pharaoh. All right, let's go. And as they start walking towards the palace, uh, one by one, the elders uh, get distracted. Oh, hey, look, you know what? Maybe it's not such a good time. Hey, my wife is calling. You know what? I got that thing that's going on. And they slip away. When Moses and Aaron finally reach the palace, they look around. Nobody's with them. Everybody's left. And so they alone uh, met with Pharaoh. And as a result, the sages say, this is why... At Mount Sinai, that Hashem said to Moses, only you come up to the mountain. Why? Because when the 70 elders were supposed to go with you to Pharaoh, they chickened out. So they don't get to come into Shemayim, only you. So this is like uh, Yeshua who went up before, uh, was taken before Pontius Pilate. And uh, all the Talmudim split. No one stayed with him. Who, who remained? The only one who remained was Kepha. And what happened to Kepha? He became the leader of the Lapid movement in Yerushalayim. He became the original Lapid Rebbe. So it says here in verse 19, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go except through a strong hand. I shall stretch out my hand. I shall strike Egypt 
with all my wonders that I shall perform in its midst. And after that, he will send you. I shall grant this people favor in the eyes of Egypt so that it will happen that when they go out, they will not go out empty-handed. So when we left Egypt, we were given, we took all this stuff, actually. But really, it's what was owed to us. It wasn't just that uh, we took it, but rather it was what was owed to us. It says, I shall grant this people favor in the eyes of Egypt. They will not go out empty-handed. Each woman shall request from her neighbor and from the one who lives in her house silver vessels, gold vessels, and garments, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and you shall empty out Egypt. So in, ver in chapter 4, we now enter into chapter 4. And so let's look at a few things here, a few minutes we have um, remaining. Uh, incidentally, uh, the Kehol Tumash has an interesting insight here before we um, get right into chapter 4. It, and from verse um, 13, where uh, Moshe is entering, this is from chapter 4 and verse 13, but he's uh, saying to Hashem, listen, I don't, I don't think you should send me. I don't think I'm your guy. Um, he says, whom will you send? According to our sages, Moses was suggesting that God send the Messiah. Why? Why he asked for this? Well, he was wondering, how come God doesn't send somebody who's going to finish the job? So Moshe understood that God knew that he could not be the ultimate redeemer, yet nonetheless, he wished to send him. His complaint then took into account, took this into account, and, and, and to a certain degree, they write, he was justified in his question. So our sages therefore teach us that at least allegorically, God acquiesced. Moses would be both the redeemer from Egypt and the final redeemer. It's allegory, right? He's lit Moses is not literally the final redeemer. But when Moses said the redeemer is going to be like me, he meant it. What did he mean? It says, although Moshe and the Messiah are two separate people, they share each other's traits. Moses, primarily a teacher, hereafter became a king. Moses became uh, a king of Israel. The Messiah, primarily a king, would also become a teacher. So it says, normally these two traits call upon different psychological qualities. In order for someone to teach, he must be aware of his superior, superiority over his students. In order for someone to rule properly, that is, he must make himself a selfless, transparent conduit for the divine power invested in him. Moses asked God to synthesize these two traits. So we see that the Messiah is going to be both a king and a teacher. And, and what did they not did they not call uh, Yeshua a rabbi? Of course they did. And we also know that he was from the divinic line and part of the royal government. So it says here, just as a footnote, similarly, we are God's emissaries. We are the Shliachim to redeem our portion of the world. Therefore, we possess both the spark of Moses and Messiah. In order to fulfill our mission, we must evidence both the teacher's initiative and creativity and the king's selfless devotion to his mission. So, looking real quick at a couple of things. It says here, um, verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Moses responded and said, but they will not believe me. This was actually a direct contradiction because Hashem had just said, they will believe you. And Moses says, they're not going to believe me. So, uh, you know, Moses is very human at this point. He's a great man. He's the greatest prophet. I mean, my goodness, who has a resume like Moshe? Nobody. But at the end of the day, he's just human like us. 
God says, you can do this. And we look at God and say, no, I can't. And so God says then, what's in your hand? And of course, he's referring to the, to the staff. Now, there's a note here from Shemos Rabbah. And it says that had, not, had Moses not been skeptical, had he just taken God at his word and said, okay, they're going to believe me. I'm going to go there. I'm going to tell them they're going to believe me. And I have a perfect amuna. But instead, he did not have amuna. And it says here, if not for Moses' skepticism, the signs would not have been necessary. The signs would have been unnecessary. He would have simply inspired the people through his prophecy and through the strength of his conviction. And so it reminded me of Matthew chapter 12 and verse 39, when Yeshua says, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. What does it mean? It means that they should have just believed God. But instead, they said, hey, show us a sign. That's exactly what Moses had done when he was standing before Hashem. He said, they're not going to believe me. I need a sign. And God was, was saying, basically, you wouldn't need a sign if you just had a Muna. So just remind me of the connection. One final thing as we conclude this morning. Um, didn't quite get to the entire Aliyah, of course, but uh, we'll uh, try to pick up tomorrow. So it says here um, in Balhaturim, talking about uh, the what is in your hand, it says, um, do not allow yourself to become arrogant, right? So Hashem is saying to Moses, basically, part of what Moses was, was the potential of what he was saying was could be potentially arrogant. So Balhatur brings down, God said, and don't allow yourself to become arrogant. If you do not fulfill my mission, this staff will fulfill my mission. What's in your hand, the staff, the inanimate object. I can cause the inanimate object. And see, this is a lesson to us on many levels. You know, remember that Yochanan the Immerser said, listen, don't think that just because you call your father Abraham that you're, you're okay, you're, you're saved. God can take these rocks and make children for Abraham. Moreover, God gives each and every one of us talents, and we should not think that we can use that talent for our own uh, pers personal use, our own private use, use it, God forbid, for the secular world only. But if we have a talent, whether it's playing music or singing or, or we're, we're creative or whatever our talent is, we need to be finding a way to use that for the kingdom of God. Otherwise, Hashem will take it away from us and give it to somebody else. Why? Because he can even make a staff uh, redeem the people if he needed to. He doesn't need us. He can even take a staff. Now, esoterically, what is the staff? The staff, the gematria of and the staff, the phrase and the staff, is 466, which is the gematria of the phrase, it was of sapphire. The staff is sapphire like the sapphire tablets. The staff is Yeshua. End of our Aliyah today. I thank you for being with me. I hope you enjoyed it. And I look forward to seeing everyone tomorrow. Have a beautiful, wonderful, and awesome day. And may you be happy today. And uh, Baruch Hashem, we'll see everybody tomorrow. Shalom, shalom.